So will you please open with me to Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. While you're making your way there, if, do you guys remember last week? It was John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. Remember that? You know, the act of what we, saw, we, we just saw the confirmation, the affirmation that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, as I mentioned last week, uh, what would happen quite often with priests and with kings, high priests, high kings, even priests, uh, is before they went into service, before they went into ministry, they had to be called. And part of that calling, there was a confirmation. And basically what would happen is oil would be poured out on them as a symbol of God's call upon their life. And also as uh, that they have the authority of God for the, what they're what they're about to do and Jesus being no ordinary King, no ordinary high priest for which he was the King of Kings, Lord of Lords and the high priest that never dies. Amen. And let's not forget the prophet. Uh, the Holy spirit anointed him, not with water, you know, even though he went in down in the water and came up, but he was anointed with the Holy spirit himself, descending upon him in the form of a dove as Jesus came out of the water. And the voice of the father follows up with that right afterwards and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so you have the son, the, the spirit and the father all in one scene there. And God, the father declaring that Jesus, his son was indeed his beloved son, and that in him, he was well pleased, well pleased and that his son had no sin on the one hand and no need for repentance uh, and, and, and no need for the baptism of repentance. This was not about Jesus uh, needing to get his sins washed away. Like everybody else, the father was well pleased in the son. And yet on the other hand, he was well pleased in Jesus that he was willingly going to take the cup that was set before him. And he began to identify with sinful man. And we talked to, you know, you would come to the end of like the book of John where he says, might've been John, one of the gospels where he's talking to the disciples and, and they go, Hey man, we, we want to, we want to reign with you and rule with you. And he goes, can you take the cup that I'm about to take? Can you, you know, be baptized with the baptism I'm about to, about to have. And in other words, taking the wrath of God upon himself for the sins of mankind. And so Jesus willingly does this and the father is well pleased in the son, the in this, the sinless spotless son of God being anointed for the ministry that was about uh, to happen. And as we begin in chapter four, verse one, we have the King who is now to be tested the testing of the King. It says there in chapter four, verse one, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, immediately after Jesus's baptism, uh, we see Jesus being led by the spirit. Notice who's doing the leading here. Jesus is being led by the spirit. And, and let me say that this is the model for our life, that we as Christians are to be spirit filled, spirit led believers. We're not to be led by our flesh, by the enemy. Any of those things were to be led by the spirit of God in our life. Just as Jesus, Jesus is our model here, life by the spirit and the spirit. What is he doing? He's immediately leading Jesus into the wilderness. How much do you like Jesus? the spirit of God to lead you into a wilderness. No, 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 no. That's not it. Milk and honey, Lord. That's, that's all I signed up for the good times. Yes. The spiritual life, as I've mentioned, the Learjets, all those things, you know, that's health, wealth, prosperity. That's what the spirit does. That's a sign upon you that you're his. Now, sometimes God leads you into difficult seasons. 
difficult seasons. And it says here in the spirit, it immediately led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, if you're a student of the word, uh, you will see a pattern here in many of the great leaders of Israel. How many of you kind of click that before a lot of the great leaders of Israel were brought into effective ministry, they spent time in the wilderness, various kinds of wildernesses for various amounts of time. And it seems like God used that time as a refining time in their life to prepare them for what God had for them. It's just a pattern. You can take it or leave it, but we see it in a lot of the great leaders. Think of Abraham. He was wandering around. He did not know the place he was going to be. He didn't even enter into the land. He, he was supposed to, well, he did, but I mean, basically, well, never mind. Abraham spent a lot of time wandering around, trusting God, being refined, right? A lot of ups and downs. There's, how about Joseph? Joseph betrayed by his brother, stone in a pit was in slavery from 17 to 30 in Egypt. And then when the testing and the trying was done, when he became a man who was no longer ruled by his pride, but by the spirit of God, although he was gifted by God and all those things, he went from the prison to the palace. Amazing time of testing there in the wilderness. And you can go on. How about Moses? 40 years in the wilderness of which our, our section today is kind of a, is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus. You got Moses. How about David. He was anointed as a young man, but it took him, what was it, 20 something years later? I don't even know right now. 20 something years later, before he even became king, he was anointed king, but he was running around in the wilderness, escaping from Saul. Pretty wild stuff, huh? And so all, all these men in, uh, who were called before they really entered in the official part of their ministry, they were in the wilderness. They were being tested and tempted and refined for the work that God had called them to do. And here the Messiah is led by the spirit into the wilderness before his public ministry began to be tempted by the devil. Now this brings up a question. How many of you are starting to ask the question? Okay. The Holy spirit is tempting Jesus. Uh, what's going on there? It says that the spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does God tempt us? Does God tempt us? That's a great question. And the short answer is no. Good job, church. No, he, except for one person, but it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. I get, I was, yeah, me too. It's all right. But the, the short answer is no, he does not actually tempt us. He's actually incapable of temptation, but God does test us. And, and you, I'm going to have to spend a little time here. He does test us. James speaks of this as an opening chapter. If you would, it's not going to be up there. Open to James chapter one, open to James chapter one. I want to talk about uh, a little bit about testing and a little about, about temptation there, because what we have going on is really applicable to us with Jesus in many ways. James begins in James chapter one. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you, that's brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the what? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. Underline let, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God allows us to enter into various kinds of tests to refine our faith. 
That's what God does. And when God tests our faith through trials, it produces something righteous in us. It produces something righteous in you. That is God's purpose in testing you. It's a refinement. It's a proving. It's a showing of what's really going on with your faith, where your faith is placed, where it isn't, isn't placed. Am I tracking with you? Are you tracking with me? And what do we want to do as soon as we're in a trial? What's our first prayer? Get me out. I want out. I don't like the wilderness. I want air conditioning and barbecues, shaded trees. Lord, that's all. That's all I ask. No refining in my life. No trials. James speaks about testing, producing steadfast in us, steadfastness in us, fortitude of our trust in God. God will test us so that we see where the cracks are, where we are, what we are trusting in, where we need to grow, where our weaknesses are in character, something about his character. And if we let its work work in us, it'll have its full effect. And what is the full effect? We become complete. And that word complete means mature. That's the idea behind it. You, You grow up. You grow up. People don't mature in easy times. Usually, right? It's the difficult times that forge your character, that refine who you are. And good parents, although we love our kids, we, when we, well, I think there's times when we put our kids through trials, don't we? We test our kids. We allow pain and suffering into their lives in a controlled blow situation because there's something that needs to grow up in them. And suffering often produces maturity if they let it happen. And so God in his love for us and also for his own glory, he allows us to go through difficult times in our relationships and life and health and all these types of things so that we would know where we stand and what he says about it and what we actually believe and what we say we believe versus what we actually do in the situation. I think we've all gone through a trial for the last couple of years. It's revealed a lot about us. It's revealed a lot about our values and our nature and how we see things differently and where our weaknesses are and where our strengths are. Anybody else? You know, what do you do when you disagree with someone? All this kind of stuff. But James goes on in verses five through eight to encourage us to ask God for wisdom in our trials. And you're going, Matt, why are you talking about trials so much? Hold on. What about temptation? We'll get there. Jesus says in verse, uh, I'm sorry. And then in verse 12, look at it. James says, James one says, blessed is the man who remains what steadfast under trial, who lets the trial do its work on their character, who remains steadfast, who learns from the Lord, who goes to him, who asks and seeks for wisdom and applies it. Amen. Why? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the what? The crown of life. Your Bible should be open. Grab a Bible if you don't have one. He receives the crown of life, which God has promised to those who what? Who love him. So those who love him are those who remain steadfast under trial. The ones who 
abide in his word. Make sense? This is John 15, just another way of saying it. And at the end of the trial, so there's big trial, your life, anybody else? What happens at the end of that trial? As you follow the Lord at the end of that road is the crown of life. The crown of life that was bought and purchased and finished on the cross, refined through our life and handed to us on that day in glory. Salvation, big picture. Amen. Salvation is the big picture purchased on the cross. It is finished. No more works refined in our lives manifested in glory. When we stand before him, you receive the crown of life after the test. Believers believe. I always say this believers believe. What does that mean? Although we might stumble and we fall, we keep going back to our Lord and asking and seeking and finding him. Amen. Amen. His spirit is in us. We keep believing in and what God has finished, uh, what God has finished upon the cross. He manifests in glory on that day. And so God does test us. He will test you as his kids. He will test me tested Abraham Genesis 22. He tests us to show us where our faith really is at and to strengthen us in him through that testing. But make sure you don't mistake testing for temptation. Make sure you do not mistake testing for temptation. Just keep reading James one verse 13. What does it say there? Let no one say when he is tempted. Whoa, he switches the word from tested to tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by what? By God for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. It is impossible for God to tempt you with evil. That is not in his nature. All right. So God tests, but he does not tempt us with evil. Well, where does temptation come from? Where does temptation come from? Huh? Yeah. Just keep reading. Why are we tempted with evil? Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his what? His own desires. Oh, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. Why? Because I'm lured and enticed by what? My own desires, my own passions. Temptation comes from our own desire. And the implication here is the passion within us, the passions within us that are sinful and contrary to God. And what happens is that we are lured and enticed to act upon what is sinful inside each of us. Paul says in Romans seven eighteen, if you're taking notes, Romans seven eighteen through 20 talks a lot about this in Romans seven. I'll just pull a little part out. Romans seven eighteen through 20 says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. What are you talking about, Paul? You're like super good. He goes, that is in my flesh just to clarify, right? Oh, okay. I get it. The bad part that just keeps us contrary to what God wants. The, part that needs to die and go in the grave. Yeah. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for I have the desire to do what is right. Amen. Amen. But not the ability to carry it out. Oh man. For I, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Anybody relate? You love the Lord. Anybody else love the Lord? Yes. 
I'm going to go to church. I'm going to worship. I'm going to talk to people nicely. All this kind of stuff. I'm going to pray for people in traffic. Although they fixed the circle, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can keep reading, but who's going to save me from this body to death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Amen. But you see, we have this fallen sin nature within us inherited from Adam and embraced and practiced by all of his descendants. Here we are all gathered in one room together. And so we are lured and enticed by the evil within our flesh church. Each one of us has this going on. Lured and enticed. Lured is a fishing term. Enticed is a hunting term. How many fisher, how many anglers we have, how many hunters? Yeah, you know what you're doing, right? You don't go up to a deer and crack a beer and say, here, you know. It's like the deer's like, well, most of them probably are, except for the ones that juke or some places that are trained. But I mean, they're like, no, that's I don't want anything to do with that. No, you go into their environment, you do bad stuff, make yourself stink like they do. You're quiet. You watch them. You look for their weaknesses, their patterns, you know, and you take your shot, right? Fishing. Man, how many of you just struggle with fishing? Anyone else? You got the wrong kind of lure. He's not hungry. He doesn't want that. It's not shiny. It's not pretty. It's not the right thing. So you put the right lure in front of the right fish that appeals to that fish's nature. And what do you do? You snag it. You got it. And, and this is obviously a trapping term when it says enticed, you, you know, uh, we don't do much trapping here anymore, but that's same thing. You lure an animal by its internal instincts towards something that it wants And so God is not in the business whatsoever of doing that to you. He doesn't tempt you and lure you according to the flesh. That is not in God's nature whatsoever. That is the devil's nature. That is his game. That is what he is about. He is the tempter of the brother and the accuser of brother. And so God's not in the business of doing that. God actually tests our faith. Amen. Satan tempts our flesh. God tests Satan tempts. God tests Satan tempts. Now here's where I'm bringing it together. The word in the Greek for temptation and for testing, parazo, thank you very much, is the same word. It's the same word. There is no word for temptation. There's no word for, for testing. It is both the same word. And so it is the context that tells you what it is. Pretty wild, huh? And so where God seeks to test and to prove and to build you up and draw you to himself, the enemy will often use that same situation to test you and to tear you down and to eat you up and destroy you. You see that? And where Satan is tempting you, God would seek to test you and prove you and pull you out. But make no mistake of who is doing what and what their motives is. Amen. First Peter five, eight warns us of Satan, be sober and be mindful, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Jesus. Later on in Matthew six 13, we'll get to that eventually when 
when teaching his disciples to pray, he said, what? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God tests Satan, tempts God delivers us from evil. Amen. I say this all to say to you that in verse one, <laughs> Jesus says in verse one, he was, uh, it says in verse one, he was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who is doing the tempting? Who's doing the testing? Yes, Jesus will be tested and the devil will be taking that opportunity to tempt. And I want to give you the end of the story right away. This is a spoiler. Jesus is not going to fail. <laughs> Just want to let you know, Jesus is not going to fail the temptation, temptation. And here's the kicker, which I believe, and you'll have to study this through by yourself, but I've come to believe this because there's no evil within him. There's nothing to be enticed. There's nothing to be drawn away in him. Nothing to lure him away from the father's will. Second Corinthians five twenty says he who knew no sin became sin for us. He knew no sin. And this is why in the garden, when he is realizing what is going to happen to him in the garden of Gethsemane, he cries out father, father, why have you forsaken me? There was a breaking of that eternal fellowship because he who knew no sin was going to take upon the sin of the world upon himself. Man, I don't even, be, I can't even begin to understand that, but also make no mistake that Jesus, although he was God, he was a hundred percent human. And in his physical body, there was weakness. He was hungry. He was tired. He wept all those things, but don't mistake those things with moral failure. That's not what's going on there. He was physically tired in verse two. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? He was hungry. I mean, we're, you know, they're starting to crank up the barbecue probably right, right now. And we're all hungry, right? We want to let's go 40 days. No way. Can you imagine what kind of hunger happens after 40 days of fasting? And here Jesus says, seeking his father for what is to come in fasting and prayer. And in this weakened physical state, guess who shows up? Yeah. Verse three. And the tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. This is the first of three temptations. Uh, recorded for us by Matthew. And, and, and what Matthew is doing through this is again, giving us another proof, another data point that Jesus is indeed the son of God. Cause that's what the, the enemy is saying. Hey, if you're the son of God, then do this. If you're the son of God, then do this. If you're the son of God, then do this. And Matthew's turning that on his face saying, he is the son of God. And this is why in this situation, he overcame the temptation. And one of the main themes that Jesus speaks about in John and and in, uh, in the apostles, apostle Paul actually expounds upon it is that Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam, the earthly Adam, what did he do when he, when he, when, well, he and Eve were tempted, he fell to temptation. He fell to temptation. 
when, uh, when Eve was there, uh, the Satan put the fruit in front of her, the, the forbidden fruit, right? Puts it right in front of her and Satan starts to lie to her. Did God really say this and that? And, and she started to not look at that based upon what God had said to her, but upon what he had said, the lies about it. And also about how she felt about it. And so instead of basing life about what God says about it, she started coming to her own conclusions about life. Oh, the fruit looks good for food, obviously. And he says it's good to make me wise. And all these things start coming in. She just starts to compromise. What she did is she put her own desires above God's word. And that is what's going on here. This is what Satan will always tempt you to do. No matter how he goes about it, no matter how many crafty, no, how, no matter how tricky he gets, he's always trying to get us to do what we want above what God says. And that's called sin. <laughs> Make sense? Okay. The second Adam. So the first Adam fell there, but the second Adam from heaven, the first Adam from earth, the second Adam from heaven, he overcame Satan. And by the way, he will redeem and reign the dominion lost by Adam. Adam lost his dominion to Satan. And we're going to see this played out in just a second. And in order for Jesus to save mankind, he must be one of us. One of us, right? But unlike us in that he's not in the same boat under the wrath of God, he had to be spotless. And this is the proving of the King, the proving of his spotlessness. When the first Adam fell of which we're all a part of, and we all take over his nature, the second Adam did not. And so that's the gospel that you have to be born again of the second Adam. And we see here in three examples of where he was tempted by Satan and yet was victorious. So I don't know how many will get through. So take note of this. If you want to walk in victory over temptation, the first thing you should note in, in the beginning of verse three, which says "And the tempter came and said to him, remember Jesus is hungry. And so when Satan, when does Satan come to Jesus when he's hungry, right? We need to know how our inner me operates. Again, first Peter five, eight says, be sober minded, be vigilant, right? Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like what? A roaring lion, right? Seeking someone to devour. He's a hunter. That's what he is. And we need to take our adversary seriously. And sometimes we don't. Our, our adversary is powerful, He's a spiritual being. He was one of the mightiest angels that fell and angels are, are mighty beings. And Peter likens him to having characteristics of a, a roaring lion, a hungry lion. And you know that lions first tactic is stealth. I mean, when you're out in, you know, gallivanting in the woods, you know that some felines watching you, Somewhere, somehow that they've got a, some mountain lion is out there following you. I remember Fred telling me a story of he was walking one way and then there's nothing there and he comes back and there's tracks, you know, following him. You know, the, you know, he was prey for a little bit. He didn't even know it, but the, this is what happens. The tactic of the enemy is stealth and camo waiting for that straggler, waiting for the weakness to show itself, waiting for the one to come off the, the, uh, depart from the herd and be alone. You know, that's why this past two years has been very difficult 
to manage, you know, you need to isolate, you need to buy, be by yourselves and all that kind of stuff. But you know what, if you're kind of weak in your faith and you don't have a way to be connected with one another, man, you are slim pickings for the enemy. And that's exactly what the enemy did. He came in and started chewing on a bunch of people this last couple of years. And that's part of the reason why I made the decisions that we did. No, we are going to gather because Jesus said to gather because he knows better. So there's things that are going on there, but the enemy comes in and when, when, he, when and, and he's hungry, when, when we're hungry, when they're in our weakness, he attacks, know your weaknesses and know your enemy's strengths. And then he tempted Jesus. How did he tempt him? What did he say in verse three? If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What's Satan doing here? What is the temptation that he's doing? If you're the son of God, which Jesus is command these stones to become loaves of bread, which we know Jesus could do. If he can materialize bread out of thin air or loaves and fishes or whatever it is, he can definitely do it out of rocks. The answer to what Satan is up to is in Jesus's answer. What is the textual temptation? Read, read the answer to what Jesus says. Verse four, but he answered and said, what it is written. Man shall not live, underline the word live, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Three key, ver- three things there, live, bread, and word, obviously God, but that's for Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 8 here. And uh, all, every, all the, the quotes when Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. It's going to be all out of Deuteronomy. He's quoting the law, but Jesus is quoting from De- Deuteronomy 8 here. And what I want to read to you is the first three verses. So Deuteronomy is like, uh, it's in the Old Testament, right? One of the first five books. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It says, the whole commandment that I command to you today, you shall be careful to do. This is Moses. When they go back into the land, he's right before they go back into the land after wandering in the wilderness, he's retelling them the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. The retelling of the law. He's, he's telling them their history and he's telling them, Hey, you're going in here. You're accountable for all this stuff. And he's retelling them the law, the whole command that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that. You may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give you your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord, your God has led you for these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what is in your heart. Wow. Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights being tested to know what is in his heart. What was in Israel's heart? Not good. Whether you should keep his commandments or not, this is a testing of the Lord Jesus really for our benefit. And he humbles you and lets you hunger Israel and the Lord. And he lets you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make known to you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so 
here, Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness being humbled, so to speak, and tested, revealing what was in his heart. And here Satan comes in in this time of testing, just as he did to the children of Israel. And he tempts Jesus. And the temptation is to put man's will and man's desires above God's will and God's desires. That's it. Jesus, use your position, your power to circumvent your suffering. Buck the testing, abandon the difficulty of following the will of your father. Do you guys know it's hard to follow the Lord? I know that there's an easy burden and and there's a sense in which it's, it's a joy, but we are swimming upstream against our flesh and against the world around us. It's difficult to walk in the light when the rest of the world's in darkness and you have darkness in your flesh. Anybody else? Jesus responds there by saying, you know what, Satan, you're telling me to get life by doing it this way, by circumventing the word of God. But you don't know what life is. You don't know what life is. Life is not this bread. It's not the sustaining of my flesh by taking care of myself in the pursuit of all these things above the will of God. No, life is actually comes from knowing God and following God and having his word in my heart and abiding in him. It's about God and his word and his will. And the key for us to understand is that to, to live out as believers and it's a key indicator of being followers of Jesus is to, is that we are a people who put God's word above our needs. We put God's word above our will. We put God's word, God's will, God's ways above our own. That's what a Christian is. That's what mature Christians do and learn to do. Jesus in Matthew chapter six, follow along with me for a second here. This is stuff he's going to just keep teaching. When Jesus is calling his disciples to live radically after him, Hey, leave everything and follow me. Leave everything and follow me. If Jesus walked up to you today and said, leave your job and you guys have to, you know, maybe sell your house, whatever it is. And you follow me. What would you do? What's the instant thing you'd start thinking about? What am I going to eat? Where are we going to live? How am I going to provide for my family? What's going on? He says to him immediately in verse 25 of Matthew chapter six, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your own body. What you're going to put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. What's real life. It's more than a prioritization of pursuits of food and clothing and homes and, and, and dirt bikes and all the things we do. It's more than all of that. Guitars and trips and all the stuff we as Americans think is life. We're fooled if we put that above God. And I'm not saying these things aren't fun. It's not that we live alone off of these things, but we do live in America alone off of these. And we try to fit God into our world. Do we know that I, I'm, I'm experiencing that as a first time homeowner, you know? Yeah. What's real life. It's gotta be more than food and clothing and going to work to have food and clothing, to go to work, to have food and clothing, you know, and whatever this is, 
Verse 31 through 33 says, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? These are important things, but don't be anxious about them. Why? For the Gentiles seek after these things. This is what unbelievers live their life after. This typifies those who do not know God. And your heavenly father, he knows that you need all this stuff. You understand? You've got a God. He loves you. Sent his son to die for you. He's not going to abandon you ever. He knows what you need. He will show himself faithful to you again and again and again. So what is our responsibility? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom, his will, his word, his way, his people. Amen. 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 Lord, help me. Amen, Matt. You know, I'm preaching to myself. I'm that's what's going on. Not like you're not listening. I'm just saying talking to myself like (laughs) you first, Matt. (laughs) Seek first the kingdom of God, Matt, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I'll take care of the bread, the bread part. I'll take care of you. And God is faithful. He's so good. And I've got stories and stories and stories about how God has been faith, faithfully provided for me and my family over and over and over throughout the years. I mean, miraculous stuff. You just seek first the kingdom and not even doing that that great. You know, he's just a good father. The lie of the enemy is to get us to believe that we must live putting the physical above the spiritual. Jesus wasn't sustained by bread alone, but every word that came from the father, John four, Jesus just had spoken to the woman at the well. Remember that conversation? He's up in the hill or he's talking to her. She had to come out of the city. He sent his guys back into the city to get food and he comes back up and they say to them in verse 31 of John four, he says, Rabbi eat. They're always having to tell him to eat, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Someone already brought him, you know, he did do DoorDash or something or Camel Dash, whatever he's going on. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his will. Is Jesus saying he's not going to eat and that's more spiritual? No. What is he saying? That the more important pressing things is not the pursuit of all of that, but it's to do what God has called me to do. To live by the spirit, to live after the Lord, accomplish his work. He says in Mark three, 20 through 21, Jesus was surrounded by crowds to the point where he and his disciples weren't able to eat. They were pressing on him all day long. It was, it was, it was just overwhelming. And, And when his family, verse 21 heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. You're out of your mind. You're not doing things the way that I want you to do them, which is the way that we all do them. This is Mary and this is the boys and the sisters. They all went out there and tried to seize Jesus and try to take care of him. But what was Jesus doing? He was eating spiritually. The word he was fulfilling the will of, I have food to do that. You know, nothing about I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. 
he was in the right. The temptation for us is to get us to believe that real life is found in the pursuit and the prioritization of our needs above God's will. Church, we will never have a powerful witness, a spirit filled life. If that is the pattern and priority of our, of our lives or our church. You know, if Jesus had lived that way, and this is what Satan is going at, and we're, we're, we'll just, we'll end it here. If, if, if Jesus had gone that way and said, yeah, you know what? I think I'll take care of me above what God says. If that, he never did that once. Do you know that? Not once. And if he had, we'd all be done, but it's impossible for him. He, he, he didn't. If he had lived that way, he never would have gone to the cross. And that's what the enemy is constantly trying to do. Don't go to the cross. Take a shortcut. Do the temporary thing. Don't suffer. Don't, you don't have to follow the will of God. Did God really say he's keeping something from you? all that kind of nonsense that comes out of, of his mouth and that we believe. You know, he, he never would have gone to the cross that way. And church will never bear ours. If we live that way, pick up your cross and follow me daily. That's real life, real joy. And guess what? I'll take care of all the good things. I'll take care of your kids. I'll take care of your food. I'll take care of the clothing. I'll take care of your house. Watch me be strong. Watch me be a provider for you. As you take steps of faith that I've called you to do. Might not be our American picture of it, but it'll be better than that. Amen. So be aware of the enemy preying upon your physical weakness, right? And have the mindset of Christ who trusted in God's provision and promised in his promises and precepts rather than the priorities of men. Amen. Well, let's pray and we'll pick up the next two next time because we're getting hungry. <laughs> Father, <laughs> it's so good to be in your word. It's so heavy because these things just convict me, Lord, in my heart. And I know it convicts us, Lord, because we are. We're so caught up in American culture, God, and our own lifestyles. And, and we try to Christianize it and spin it. Uh, Lord, we just have so much to learn from you. And so God, I, you know, as the servant leader here, I just come before you and ask for help in this area and for your forgiveness and help me to change my life and to, and to really seek after your kingdom and to prioritize the things of the spirit above the things of the flesh and God for my brothers and sisters. I pray the same. We love you and you are so good and so gracious, so long suffering. So teach us Lord in this and Lord, we do pray Lord for your testing in our lives. God, not that we desire the hardship, but we desire the fruit of the hardship. And so God, if we're in a test, Lord, we embrace your work in it. And we want to let it produce what you desire to have in it. So glorify yourself. May we be a people pure and refined and set apart for your glory, Lord. And we do ask 
that you deliver us from evil. In the name of Jesus, amen.